This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> the answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. Welcome back to my dining room. We're back in the dining room here for the takeout. We've been out in restaurants all over D.C. for a while. It's not a COVID hangup we have. We're just doing this because... We have to, for staffing and availability reasons. First of all, Happy New Year to everyone. Now, I know some of you are hearing this show on New Year's Eve, so yes, to some, I have jumped the gun, but Happy New Year anyway. This show, as you know, because you're here on Paramount+, Plus, CBSN, Terrestrial Radio, 75 radio stations around the country, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, our podcast followers, you're here because you like to hear about information, politics, policy, pop culture, And you like information, and we're going to devote this show to a year-end wrap-up and a year-end look-ahead to a really, really important topic in the world of information, because it has a modification at the front of it, disinformation. Dan Patterson is our special guest. Dan, it's great to have you with us. Tell my audience what you do at CBS and how you have become, whether you wanted to or not, a kind of in-house expert on disinformation. Major, it's great to both hear you and see you. Uh, it, everything was accidental, both in my career and covering mis- and disinformation. Uh, and I think that could be said for a lot of my peers who are uh, kind of taking a look at this space because social media kind of evolved from this thing that reduced the friction between or the distance and friction between people and other people and information. And in its early days, I'm sure you remember as well, There was a lot of hope associated with new technologies like social media, uh, but that changed very quickly um, through the middle part of this decade. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people who are far smarter than I am can point to the, the more mechanical reasons as to why, but the, the end result was that we kind of saw a perfect storm of, um, communities who were pretty adept at spreading mis- and disinformation. Uh, when I say that, I mean like they knew the tactics. And uh, we had these larger forces, including the 2016 election, uh, the Trump presidency, and of course, leading up to January 6th. So I think a lot of this was maybe history unfolding very quickly, and other components of it was you know, tech running into that history. 
Uh, I was caught in that uh, because I'm a technology reporter. And like a lot of my peers, I just kind of look at what is not far future technology, but near future tech, um, the communities and the technologies that are coming uh, to us pretty soon. And at the time, uh, what seemed like small conspiracy groups grew along with this tidal wave of history and became maybe the fuel or the kindling that fueled January 6th and beyond. So I don't know if that's the short or long description, Major, but it is the, the maybe context of the last couple of years of, of tech and looking at it. Sure. And Dan, with your indulgence, I want to do one other thing as we have this last show of the year 2021. I want to thank all those who work with me to bring the show to you every single week. You know, our show, The Takeout, is going into its fifth year. We have never missed a week. Every single week of the show, almost five years now running, has been original. We've never done a repeater. We've never done a best of. And the reason we're able to do that, yes, I'm part of that reason, but Arden Fari is part of that reason, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen. Without them, I don't have the capability to do anything. So as we wrap this up for the year 2021, I again want to extend my thanks to them. So Dan, uh, we'll get to a couple of definitions in a second, but would you say 2021 was a big year, bigger year, the biggest year, or basically a continuation of the pattern we've seen with the spread and destabilizing nature of disinformation? A continuation for sure, Major. Uh, January 6th was a culmination of a lot of forces, but the those same forces of dis and misinformation kind of metastasized and changed along with uh, kind of the news of the day. And where we are at now, uh, about a year later, uh, we see these same forces, but they're almost more mature, sophisticated, and they've spread out. And so I, I'm kind of using euphemisms to walk around conspiracies like QAnon and the reason is that those conspiracies have been become really loaded and they mean different things to different people. And while the QAnon conspiracy continues to exist and in fact proliferate and grow, there are different hooks, different entry points to the funnel. And it, it is a more sophisticated operation than it was a year ago. Dan, it's a sad truth, and I think we have to acknowledge it up front, is that some in our audience would say, well, Major Garrett, you work for a disinformation company, CBS. You're part of the corporate media. The corporate media is in the hands of all these forces in America, elites and others, that essentially package the news in a certain way. And I've basically divorced myself from you and all the other mainstream media because I consider you to be agents of disinformation. That's part of this equation, is it not? As you say that, my stomach, my stomach twists a little bit. Yeah. Um, a lot of us have been staring at those words precisely for years. Um, I started covering QAnon um, from a distance in 2018 after the, the Poway shooting, but more specifically as 2018 and 19 kind of fed into the political cycle, we saw... QAnon use language like that. And this was intentional disinformation that was designed to, I know this term is used frequently, but to gaslight and to marginalize forces like ours that, although sometimes we do get it wrong, are traditionally bastions of speech and truth and uh, uh, communication and being able to, to speak truth to power. And it's not just journalists that were attacked, um, others, academics, 
uh, nonprofits, those who really are the the tenants, those who uphold uh, a liberal democracy, were all attacked uh, in the run up to January 6th. And so, yeah, as you say that, it, it, those are just challenging words to hear because, yeah, it, it's happening and will continue to. And this goes with a larger, I think, philosophical conversation, which we can get into. We've got about two minutes before we need to go to the first break, if you want, which is with technology and with all the things that people can hold in their hands through their cell phones. I mean, vast computer power that was that's larger in your hand than the computers that put the man on the moon for the United States with through NASA in 1969. All that technology has also brought with it a deconstruction of hierarchies and either respect or allegiance for hierarchies. And I'm not telling people or suggesting that respecting hierarchies is the single greatest purpose of life. It isn't. Scrutinizing hierarchies is really important. But when you disassemble every hierarchy, then you're around a lot of ruination. And you've got to pick through it and decide what you believe and what you don't believe. And that's where I think we are now, kind of a, I don't want to say dystopian, but metaphorically dystopian information space where people are scrambling around. There are no hierarchies left because they've tried to dismantle most of them. And then they essentially either manufacture or come to gravitate toward their own truth, whatever that happens to be, whether it's truthful or not. Am I over exaggerating this phenomenon? I think that's a perfect way to articulate what's happening now. Uh, it is kind of manufacturing uh, discontent and tearing at those hierarchies intentionally. And with that comes also, it seems, perhaps a mental first and then physical assault on institutions. And January 6th is a perfect example of that, is a culmination. It may be, and I'll, I want to ask you this on the other side of the break, maybe it's a start of something, not the end of something. Like, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? I'll give you 30 seconds and we'll set that up for the next uh, next segment. January 6th queued up the next era of not just dis and misinformation, but dis and misinformation like exactly you articulated, Major, in the physical kinetic space. It is going from the online and digital realm and manifesting in the physical realm, often in violence. Manifesting in the physical realm, often in violence. With that semi-optimistic and largely pessimistic uh, outro, we will go to break and come back for segment two. Dan Patterson, our special guest. The topic, disinformation. Happy New Year, everyone. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. If you are watching on CBS Center Paramount Plus, you might have noticed between segments a slight light, light adjustment. Well, we're doing that all the time. That's what we have to do here in the dining room studio. Also, on the list of people who make this show possible each and every week, Eric Susanen, who's our video editor up in New York. So, Eric, Happy New Year and thanks to you. Dan Patterson is our special guest. Dan, you work for our company, do you not? 
Great to be with you. Yeah, I am a technology reporter for CBS News. That's right. So um, I want to, before we get into January 6th, all the disinformation that led up to it, I want to say something else that I think some in our audience, particularly those who either voted for President Trump, still support former President Trump, would say, well, how about the whole Mueller thing and the whole Russia collusion thing? That went on forever. That feels like disinformation to me because in the end, less was made of that from a prosecutorial point of view than was feverishly talked about for two years. And there are now indictments of people on the other side of the political spectrum who may have been involved in the whole Steele dossier. That whole feel th thing feels to me, they would say, speaking on their behalf, like disinformation to me. Is disinformation, Dan, something that is fixed in its definition or can it shift from one category to another? For the most part, disinformation is fairly fixed. I think that some of these definitions and the, and the difference between dis and misinformation are probably evolving a little bit. But for the most part, disinformation is defined by uh, most experts as being the intentional propagation of uh, untruth or of lies. And misinformation can be just as dam damaging and sometimes spread at larger scale, but it's unintentional. So it would be... Uh, say my neighbor told me it's going to rain tomorrow because she or he heard that it was going to rain. That's a, a rumor or it's a gossip. It's misinformation. Disinformation is the intentional spreading of untruth. And uh, you could probably tie onto that with the intent to cause some sort of harm. Um, but the word harm is loaded and there's a lot of right. discussion within the communities of disinformation <laughs> right. experts about what harm is, mm -hmm. um, how to quantify it, how to quantify it and, and who defines harm. So it, it gets, who is harmed? Much. Who's the harmer? Yeah. Like yeah. All that. Yeah, yeah, precisely. It's, it's the same thing in cybersecurity about attribution and, and who the victims actually are, but it's, it is disinformation is fairly well established. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because when I talk, and this is the topic we're going to get into now, January 6th, and the massive disinformation campaign about what did not happen in the 2020 election, there was not industrial scale voter fraud, there simply wasn't, that is a complete manufactured lie, and it led to an assault on the January, on January 6th on the United States Capitol. When I talk about that on talk radio, I will frequently get texts or emails from listeners who say, well, what about the whole Russia collusion thing. They will not say, well, they're equivalent or I need one to cancel the other. They're like, your emphasis is on one, but not on the other. And that's where one of these interesting places of terrain get to me because people talk to me about, well, the emphasis is part of the campaign or the narrative. And whether it's truthful or not, they feel like a narrative can take on a disinformation quality all to itself. Thoughts about that? Yeah, I can understand how we might feel as though a narrative is kind of stacked against us. And I think that in partisan politics or a system that is polar like ours, uh, you're going to feel as though there is a narrative that is perhaps not one that you agree with. And it is pretty easy to kind of find things that support that and then maybe jump to a conspiracy, conspiratorial direction. But what we're talking about with something like QAnon, the conspiracy theories that uh, percolated online and their relationship with January 6th. It is just a fundamentally different thing because there were coordinated actors in there who did have tactical goals. It is very yes. different than than maybe feeling or thinking the media narratives are stacked against you. 
Exactly. And very quickly, folks, let me just give you a quick table of contents. Maricopa County, all the stuff about the Sharpies, false. All the stuff about uh, ballots from other places with bamboo in them, false. Don't believe me. Believe the cyber ninjas because they didn't find it. You know why? Because it didn't exist. Georgia, all the allegations of mass voter fraud. When the court cases were asked to be filed and actually the allegers, the Republican National Committee or the Trump campaign had to actually go to court and back things up. They folded. They didn't proceed with their litigation because they knew they had no facts behind them. Antrim County in Michigan, all the allegations there blew up in their face. Why? Because they didn't exist. Don't believe me. Believe the Republicans who investigated it. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, all those surrounding counties, all the allegations there blew up in a puff of smoke. When? What happened? Rudy Giuliani, on behalf of the President of the United States, came to the court and they said, are you alleging voter fraud? No, we're alleging procedural problems. Procedural problems are different from fraud. So don't believe me. Believe the actual established record of the allegers themselves. Because when push came to shove and they had to prove these things in court or establish a fact pattern to even suggest they might be true, they folded. That's the truth. That's the absolute, definable, discernible, verifiable fact pattern. And yet, Dan, we live in a country where a vast majority of Republicans believe something on the lines of mass theft occurred in a presidential election. I have a very difficult time, as I'm sure you do, reconciling those two statements. Fact pattern is such a great word because it describes something that is, again, very specific and very verifiable. However, um, the deployment of tactics like the big lie depend on something like Maricopa County, where even though they found nothing, the mechanics, the sheer process going through this and hiring high profile people like Rudy Giuliani to participate in this process, lend it an air of legitimacy that extends it into the digital realm far enough that you don't really have to to present that fact pattern in in fact, Major, you are encouraged to, air quote, do your own research, and you are, of <laughs> course, fed information that might back up your feelings, but doesn't really address that grouping, that cluster of facts that does exist. It's a scary place. Do your own research, and we've provided a rabbit hole here conveniently for you in which to do that research. The rabbit hole, I mean, not only literally, but metaphorically, the place in which algorithms will lead you down this path of disinformation. That's right. Uh, the funnel really is just um, a, a computer saying, well, you engaged in this, then you might like things that are uh, equally conspiratorial. Uh, we do spend a lot of time talking about algorithms, but really it's just a bunch of if-then statements. Um, if this, then do that. So if you like this, then feed that person uh, a cluster of information that agrees with that um it's not all that complicated is it yeah right it's not that complicated but but the end result is that you end up seeing a bunch of stuff that not just you might prefer or like but that engages you and might enrage you that really is more profitable and as you said as we went into segment two you think the underlying notions behind january 6th are with us and may present danger in the future i'm a afraid of that. that that's a fear. Um, as, a, as a journalist, I don't have that same fact pattern, but I have enough right. I have enough things that are starting to pile up in that that general region that it might be a pattern, but but not yet. However, it feeds my fear and anxiety that this is the beginning. Uh, 
And uh, look, it's not the beer hall push, but it is something that is the beginning of something that is maybe historically we haven't seen before. We've got about a minute before we go to the next break, Dan. Um, I understand you believe that QAnon has evolved, and I'd like you to begin the conversation about what you think that evol- evolution has been and if it is smaller or larger than it was when it was so much more in the news. Yeah, it's uh, it has always evolved. It started as a small conspiracy and maybe an inauthentic conspiracy fed by pranksters and became something that was fairly authentic in its own belief structure. And it created a belief structure. That belief structure then came under attack uh, through late last year and after the election through January 6th. And it continued to evolve as the QAnon brand got kind of bad. Uh, They used the same tactics, the same groups, the same social media structures to evolve the brand and become something that is uh, recognizable, but very different today. We're going to get into the ways to recognize it and and how it has changed or morphed in the last six to eight months. Dan Patterson is our special guest. He is a in-house expert on disinformation. I'm Major Garrett. This is your New Year's Eve and New Year's Day and New Year's Weekend edition of The Takeout. Back for segment three in just one second. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. You know, our topic with Dan Patterson this week is disinformation. For those of you who are more deeply interested in this, I highly, highly recommend on my behalf and behalf of all of my team of volunteers, the two documentary podcasts we produced on this topic earlier this year under the heading Debrief. That was my other podcast. And we did two, about 30, 32-minute episodes, Disinformation Part 1 and Disinformation Part 2. And it really deconstructs a lot of these underlying issues uh, in great depth. Dan is a voice in that. Uh, So if you're more interested in this topic and we've sort of whet your appetite, I urge you to go back to the debrief, go in the archives, find Disinformation Part 1 and 2. Dan, uh, so how has QAnon evolved? How is it different? How is it possibly as large or even possibly larger? In the early days of QAnon Major, it was, look, I'm embarrassed to say it was hard to recognize. It wasn't because we could see it. When I say we, there is a nice diverse cross-section of voices who do study disinformation. But you could jump into, say, Discord chat rooms and kind of listen to QAnon radio. I remember sitting in the uh, CBS newsroom at the Broadcast Center in New York, and I would listen to these QAnon chats as they would talk to each other. This was 2019 and we were covering different stories, but I was scratching my head like, this is weird and different. As that evolved, it picked up steam. And when I say there were inauthentic actors in there, yes, there were people who kind of spread um, misinformation within the QAnon community to keep them stoked up. But for the most part, as it gained steam, these were true believers. These were people who had whatever, whatever reason drove them there. They were there authentically. Um, there were bots that often helped them uh, jump onto hashtags and, and tactically grab additional followers. Uh, one QAnon uh, true believer told me that he used a tool that would just spam hashtags, popular hashtags on Twitter, and then they could get, you know, maybe one or 2% of those people would click over to their sites and, and eventually gain steam. 
that's not the only way. They also put stuff in front of real influencers, real human followers. Um, this was one way that COVID disinformation spread, for example. They put information in front of real people and allowed the millions of followers to see this and see the authenticity that came with that. So QAnon grew through a tactical kind of methodical pace through 2018, 19 and leading up to 2020. But by the time we got to 2020, there was a brand associated with QAnon. And in fact, Q air quotes said in November of 2020, disinformation is necessary. There is no QAnon. And suddenly you saw QAnon people stop using the term QAnon. And yet the movement grew. It metastasized and joined Stop the Steal. And we saw what happened with Stop the Steal and related movements. Into January 6th, they kind of powered a lot of the chatter that happened with the groups that attended that, um, the insurrection. After the insurrection and after a mass deplatforming that happened on January 8th of 2021, most of the social media sites finally said enough and they cut QAnon and related conspiracies from their sites. Uh, Q fled to other social media networks, but primarily settled on Telegram, a messaging platform with very few restrictions. And they used this to attack Joe Biden's inauguration. After the, the inauguration, um, of course, you, you remember um, March, uh, March 4th as a, a conspiratorial date. They continued to spread COVID disinformation and climate change disinformation. So the group used those tactics that I described, Major, to kind of um, gain some sort of altitude and fly above the, the muck that the QAnon brand had acquired and become something totally different today. And when we talk about COVID disinformation, what do you put in that category, Dan? Well, we saw a lot of disinformation about the vaccines. Now, I know that seems kind of obvious, but a year ago, as vaccines were catching on, uh, this seemed like hopeful. It seemed like something that how could you possibly be against that? And now, of course, we see vaccines as something that is incredibly divisive. Uh, QAnon really pushed COVID vaccine disinformation, and they used those methods. They used some kind of cheap bots, like uh, one called Tweet Attacks Pro, that just flooded hashtags and tried to get, you know, shotgunning their message outward. Uh, then they put stuff really in front of influencers, people who genuinely believed this but had maybe a million followers. Uh, and and the final tactic was really to use those influencers as part of a funnel and then use their rhetoric that kind of helped convert people into, like we joked about earlier, doing their own research and becoming a part of that funnel. Right. Now, you know, Dan, as well as I do, that a year or so ago, when people talked about the Wuhan lab theory, some people branded that as disinformation. Well, now there have been reassessments of that, journalistic and otherwise, where we still don't know for sure, but there is a broader sense that there might have been something untoward or mishandled and certainly not transparently discussed by the Chinese government about what did or didn't happen in the Wuhan lab as far as the origins of COVID-19. That's when I was thinking about this, this topic of is disinformation always fixed? You said it's mostly fixed. Might that be something that would fall into the, or maybe it was misapplied in the first place. Your thoughts? One of the scary and weird things about 
disinformation itself, especially in this age of social media, is that it kind of forces polarization. It forces us to be very careful with, look, in a previous era, and I'm not pointing fingers or blaming social media, but look, we are sophisticated humans. We are capable of nuance. And the fact that new information changed the facts on the ground, like that's nuance, but that's not really hard to to understand, right? Most people can understand that, but we suddenly become very, very careful about our language around that major because all of a sudden we could be characterized as spreaders of disinformation. Simply because the facts on the ground change doesn't mean that we intentionally spread this, but our own words can be turned against us and uh, it further undermines those who stand up for facts and the truth. And there was a disinformation effort around sort of proposed miracle cures for COVID-19, were there not? Uh, This was another attempt to kind of undermine uh, established narratives of truth versus, you know, or questioning what is truth. Yeah, a lot of these miracle cures used Facebook and Facebook's advertising tactics to not just spread far and wide, but to kind of hide as they were spreading because Facebook is by far the most opaque social network. It's hard for outsiders to really see how far this spreads. And many of those who, who kind of cook and spread disinformation are aware of that, which is one reason they like Facebook as a platform. It's easy to spread a lot of these fake theories um, with opacity around them. And Dan, we've got about a minute 35 before the next break. And I want to start this conversation with you now. Because we talked about this in the debrief, Disinformations Part 1 and 2, the profit motive for large platforms to turn a blind eye or actually turn a profit-seeking eye quite under the table toward this kind of disinformation. True? Well, let's be very careful because there are a lot of really good people at all major tech and media companies Mm -hmm. who really sincerely try to find and fight this stuff. But it is a lot of our bias, our own internal bias can come in and and weigh our decision making. Um, And, you know, profit is one of those things that can change decision making matrices. Uh, So we do know that the the um, business models of Google, which is advertising and click based advertising, as well as Facebook, these are CPM and CPC advertising. Look, they just align with with growth engagement. and clicks that that is the way these companies make money and uh, smarter and more sophisticated people than you or I, who have a lot of data have demonstrated uh, this, this click motivation and the economy around disinformation. And that's a good distinction that you made. And I want to make sure it's clear, not that there is no effort internally to combat these things, but sometimes even as you combat them, the systems themselves generate revenue. And that's a fact. And whether the motive was that to begin with, or discovered downstream doesn't make it any less true. Fair statement? Yeah, that's pretty fair. Dan Patterson is our special guest. Stay tuned for segment four of the takeout from the Major Garrett dining room. Happy New Year, everyone. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. 
like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. This is your New Year's Eve, New Year's weekend show. So if you're traveling, you're in an airport, digging The Takeout, thanks for joining us. If you're on a train or a long drive, thanks for joining us. If you're at home, taking a breather, glad to have you with us. Dan Patterson is our special guest. We're talking about disinformation. And Dan, I want to talk to you about something that um, MIT did a lot of research on. And it's a faraway place, Myanmar. It's not central to the lives of most Americans. The Rohingya are not necessarily well-known, but you are. You probably heard maybe something about them. There was a deep study about Facebook postings there a couple of years ago, how they led to perceptions, which then led to violence. And there's some sense that if Facebook... Uh, unintentionally or intentionally was not paying attention to this. Nevertheless, bad things happened. If you'd be so kind and the basics, we don't have to get down to the granular details in every aspect of this, paint that story or tell that story to the audience. In fact, the lead of this story uh, does a great job of illustrating the broader challenge that Facebook and other social networks face right now. Uh, a video was posted that alleged to be live and show uh, a lot of the horrors that were happening. Um, and, and it was posted over and over and over each time it alleged to be live. And it showed a little snippet of the action. Other videos followed a very similar pattern. And if you saw only the social media videos, you would have a, a very particular way of thinking about uh, the events that were unfolding uh, the videos themselves created a narrative. Yes, the videos themselves created a narrative and the way in time they were posted reached, they hit different audiences. They hit different components of, of the um, uh, algorithmic filters. Um, and I think that that demonstrates the challenge that is not just in faraway places like Myanmar or as we saw with Maria Ressa in the Philippines, uh, we can use hyperbolic language like weaponized, but we see maybe a better word, narrative. A narrative plays out that has a particular effect in the real world that is starting to play out here in the United States as well. And in Myanmar, we should point out that unlike the United States or other more advanced countries, Facebook and the internet are almost synonymous in terms of use and visibility. So Facebook is sort of the, the overwhelming platform in a place like Myanmar, which makes all of these underlying issues all the more important. And in that case, for the Rohingya, all the more deadly. That is such an important point, Major. This goes not just for the phones where, where Facebook is most and the internet is most frequently accessed. Often this goes up into the sky. Uh, companies like Google and, and Facebook often create the networks that uh, allow for access in fairly remote places. We should also say that we've had a little more time to, uh, to access the internet. For us, we called social media web 2.0 because we had time to adjust 
to Web 1.0. But for a lot of people, they had all of this technology right away. And as you can imagine, that have a big impact. Dan, is there any data that suggests that American consumers of social media are approaching a point of fatigue or that the novelty has begun to wear off or not at all? Metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I, I'm sure there is data, uh, but I think this might be kind of choose your news and depend on your, your <laughs> data source. However, the common narrative right now in technology circles, at least anecdotally, is that, yeah, metaverse, that, look, mobile phones, social media, and the cloud have kind of peaked, and that there is perpetual digital colonization that is happening. And so social media and technology companies have kind of come up with the next thing that we all um, should be excited about. And uh, I'm sure you're hearing words like metaverse and web three pretty frequently. So let me stop you right there. For those who are still trying to adjust, and I include myself in them, when we think about the term metaverse, what should we understand or try to comprehend? Uh, first of all, it doesn't exist yet. Um, second of all, it is the idea news for me. that you or I will be using mixed reality headsets and our phones to access a world that is between virtual reality and augmented reality, meaning we will have these full headsets that are VR visors and then other things that are more like traditional glasses that let us see digital worlds and digital objects that populate that world. Some things might be computer screens that help us telework and do things like the call we're on right now, Zoom, but in VR. Uh, other things are like a recently launched Facebook social network called Horizons Worlds, uh, Horizon Worlds, which is um, kind of like Second Life, a video game. You walk around and you see your friends. Um, all of these things represent economic opportunity uh, for technology companies. Do you sense an appetite for this world? And I'll just say it right now, I have zero appetite for it. I like reality, reality, reality. And yes, you mentioned the Zoom technology is something we were not accustomed to and certainly not familiar with and comfortable with five years ago. So yes, adaptations can be made, but still that's you. This is me. This is my dining room. And it's reality. It's close to reality as can be. I'm I'm Maybe I'm an outlier. I probably, I'm, I'm certainly a technological outlier. But do you sense this vast public enthusiasm for the metaverse? No, there is none. Okay. Um, I am told by analysts and experts and people at Facebook, Google, Twitter, and others that it doesn't matter, it's coming. And that, yes, right. I, I'm kind of <laughs> a Luddite and that it doesn't really matter. Mixed reality and metaverse is coming. Uh, however, no. I, in fact, the, the number one question I have asked Facebook at the highest levels possible since they rebranded as Meta in November is, what if nobody cares? Look, I, I'm like you, Major. Maybe I'm old and maybe I am a Luddite, um, but I, I, don't, I don't feel compelled. I, there, there is nothing compelling in this like there is with a mobile phone. And I think a lot of right. people feel the same way. Exactly. Dan Patterson has been our special guest. Uh, Dan, I'm going to give you 15 or 20 seconds. Is there a tool or think about toolbox people can have in the coming year to combat or at least filter disinformation? Uh, yeah, the best app is no app. I Put your phones down and, and hug your friends, if that's safe. 
Uh, really, I, I mean, right. it sounds a little flip, but really the right. best app is no app. Just put your phone down for a little while. Exactly. As the phrase from a well-known commercial for a well-known fast food chain said many years ago, it said, drop the chalupa, drop the phone, hug your friends, hang out. Reality is reality. It's still a really cool place. Dan Patterson, it's been a pleasure. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. For those on our podcast and on CBSN, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial from the Major Garrett Dining Room. Happy New Year, everyone. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. Happy New Year. I'm Major Garrett. Welcome to the Major Garrett Dining Room. Dan Patterson is our special guest. He is a tech reporter for CBS. He is an in-house expert on disinformation. Uh, the technology part of your expertise, Dan, I'm going to do something as kind of a New Year's gift to all of my volunteer staff who harangue me endlessly about the following two topics. I still have a Hotmail account, and I still use Bing as a search engine. That must put me in some sort of eighth or ninth ring of tech hell. Is that, at least that's what they keep telling me. I think that your tech usage is actually very hip, Major. Uh, <laughs> Microsoft is, is having a moment. Their moment might be uh, cut short by the reception of Windows 11, which was kind of muddled. Uh, but look, Microsoft has really turned themselves around. 10, 15 years ago, they were the butt of jokes. Uh, they had launched Longhorn, which had failed. They uh, tried to get into Windows 10, which is where they are now, through a couple failed attempts. Um, but now, uh, with under Satya Nadella, they have adopted the cloud. They have, uh, they're number one with the cloud. I think Azure now beats uh, uh, Amazon cloud services, or competes with them at least. Uh, look, Aunt Major, you so, so Dan, just say that, just say that hip and number one part again, and then we'll and then we'll move on. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you're hip and number one. Sorry, sorry. Beautiful. Way too That's much all we tech need. That's all we need. We're good to go. We're good to go. <laughs> Dan, as our audience well knows, uh, the best part of the takeout outtake especials are three threshold questions. We asked them of everyone, and the audience really digs the answers because they reveal a little bit of who that, who they've been listening to. So you can take these three questions in whichever order you prefer. Question number one, uh, and this could be any time of your life, most influential book, uh, changed your life in some way, gave you a different perspective, either recently or as a young reader, uh, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies. And if you're on a long flight or a long drive and you're really going to immerse yourself in your favorite music, what is that music most likely to be, either by artist or genre? Uh, favorite book, there's no way I have one. I, I read 20 to 30 give books us a give year. us a couple of biggies a black elk speaks uh totally influential zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance i was a young nerd for sure and then probably some book about ruby on rails pro programming um what was the first one again black elk speaks um about black elk uh i i lived in south dakota for a long time and uh, the lakota culture is like the, the dominant culture in western south dakota so black elk speaks is about a, a lakota elder named black elk fantastic fantastic a movie uh movie oh man i don't i don't watch a ton of movies uh let's let, let me let me put something in closer to your lane then is there a tech movie that you like 
the matrix the matrix is, is a never weird a wrong metaphor, answer right is a never weird a metaphor. wrong answer yeah have you ever watched the movie sneakers oh yeah absolutely yep that's another that's another Great classic tech movie yeah very good uh music what kind of music do you dig jazz rock and roll and hip-hop absolutely um the first nuz that amazing album um the harder they come the harder they fall soundtrack excellent mm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. So we have about a minute to go before we say farewell, Dan. Um, hard question, but I want you to try to give us an answer. Optimistic, pessimistic about the future of disinformation in America. Um, optimistic, because I believe that humans are inherently good and we care about each other and we care about our neighbors. And because of those things, we will over time distill truth, discern truth, and act upon it. Yeah, I care about my neighbor more than I care about being angry. Right. And disinformation is a fuel for anger and discontent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I let that inference just hang in the air there. (laughs) Yes. One one of my obligations here, Dan, is to uh, take the tidying dustpan and uh, broom and uh, sweep up all inferences left hanging in the air. I started my career in talk radio major, but I'm really rusty. (laughs) No one would know it, Dan. Dan Patterson, it's been a great pleasure to hang out with you. Happy New Year, everyone, from the Major Garrett Dining Room. Thank you for digging on the takeout. Thank you for listening to us on our podcast platform, CBSN, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, and everywhere else you find the show. Happy New Year. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seekers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you 
It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.